conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. If you have your Bibles, either print or digital copy, get them out and turn to Luke chapter 1. Our text for today is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I want you to notice her answer. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You've got to admire this girl. You've got to admire this girl. We're commanded to admire this girl. She told us, as a result of all of this, this is what she had to say. This is what she had to say. Next slide. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, let's be honest. Those of us who are Protestants... This catches in our throats. This is why one theologian wrote an article describing this Protestant phenomenon, which he titled, From Now On, Some Generations Will Call Me Blessed. <laughs> but as I read that statement, what Mary is saying is that what is about to happen as a result of her faithfulness is reason enough for us, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, whoever we are, to call her blessed. You've got to admire this girl. And she was a girl. If she were in this room today, she probably, probably would be in age among the youngest. She may still be in high school. And she has nothing to bring to the table. Nothing to bring to the table. No education. No means. She is a part of a peasant class in first century Palestine, a subject nation to the Romans. She has nothing. She's from Nazareth. Now, if you want to know where Nazareth is, just take your hand and go, no, don't do that. You, you don't do that. If you're from Nazareth, you don't say it's right here in the middle of the mitten. You, don't, you, you raise your hand, but you put your hand over your mouth so that when you actually say where you're from, no one will understand it. If you want to know where Nazareth is, Nazareth is that town right near your hometown where no one wants to be from. 
That's Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was pretty much the town motto. It was on all the signs. Sort of. Now, if we know this about her, that she's a nobody from Nowhereville, I have a feeling she might have thought that once or twice about herself. Who am I? And yet she had the courage, she had the faith, that's it. That's the thing about Mary I want us to focus on, her faith. She had an older cousin, her older cousin got pregnant around the same time Mary did. It was part of God's plan to reinforce his intentions. And Mary's cousin Elizabeth makes this statement about Mary. And this is where we're going to focus. Look at it. 145, blessed is she, Mary, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I want to focus on the faith of this kid, this nobody from nowhere. I want to focus on the faith of Mary. Now, to do that, I want to turn to a song that Mary sang right after she found all this was happening. And if you want to turn to it, it's in, again in Luke, it's in chapter 1. Starting at verse 46, I didn't print out all the words, you can look at it, I'll just touch on some of the phrases. When I read this song of Mary's, it's called the Magnificat, and I ask the question, what is it about Mary's faith that I see emerging in this song that she sings? There's two things that I notice. The first thing is that Mary's faith believed for the impossible. She believed that the impossible was possible with God. I mean, just, just think about the virgin birth. It's one thing to believe that God is coming back sometime. It's another thing altogether to believe that God is coming in nine months. It's one thing to believe that God is everywhere. It takes a little more faith to believe that God is here in this room, right? It takes a whole lot more faith to believe that God is here. Not just in the room, but in the womb. In this womb. This is faith to believe the impossible. Now, you may be wondering what that arch is doing up there. That's located in the city of Ephesus in Turkey. If you're standing and facing the famous Library of Celsus facade, just to the right of it is this arch. Now, this arch is interesting for several reasons. One is that there is a misprint. <laughs> Wouldn't you hate to be the guy carving the inscription on this thing in stone and you misspell a word? But that's, there's a misprint up there. There's a second reason this is interesting, and that's, and I never could find this. If you, go, if you go to Ephesus with the study group that's going in May, look for it. There's somewhere carved on that inscription on the inside a sign that says, don't urinate on the wall. <laughs> I couldn't find it. It's there somewhere. I, I swear to you, that's what my guidebook said. But believe it or not, that's what, not why I brought that picture with me. The reason I brought that picture is because of what that inscription says. And it hit me. When I was standing there and I read in my guidebook what that inscription was saying, it hit me. It's an inscription given in honor of the great emperor Caesar Augustus. Most powerful figure in the ancient world. 
the date that's on the inscription corresponds to, by our dating, 4 B.C. Now, if you paid attention in your New Testament survey class, you're remembering right now what happened in 4 B.C. Not in Ephesus, not in Rome, but in Palestine, in Bethlehem. A little baby was born to this kid from nowhere. And that's what hit me. That's what hit me. As I'm looking at this inscription carved by somebody as a way of winning the emperor's favor, as a way of currying this this power, accessing this power. Oh, we honor this great emperor Augustus. At the same time, some little kid is being born in squalor, in ignominy, to a nobody from nowhere, and his name was Jesus. We talk about a faith that can believe the impossible, That was Mary's faith. Second thing I notice about her faith is that she seemed to have a capacity because of her faith to see the invisible. I know the print's small, but it's there. Listen to what she says. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Time out. Mary, you're a nobody from nowhere. Mary, you're part of a people who are a subject nation to the mighty Romans. What are you talking about? What world, what realm, what aspect are you living in? What are you looking at? I'm looking at Roman soldiers quartering themselves in our homes against our wishes. I'm looking at Roman soldiers telling me i got to carry his pack for the next couple of miles. That's what I'm looking at, Mary. What are you looking at? Well, I'll tell you what she was looking at was reality. She was looking at might have been invisible in one sense, but it was visible to her. And that's what her faith did. Her faith allowed her to see God as sovereign in the face of apparent contradiction. Against all evidence, she saw God as sovereign. Against all evidence, she saw God as the deliverer, not just of her people, but of her. Look at the next slide. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Mary, you're a pregnant teenager. You're not even married. These are the great things. But see, she could see something that you don't just see without faith. She could see the invisible. You got to love Mary's faith. Believing for the impossible. Seeing the invisible. And you're saying, come on, Steve. I know how she had that faith. She had an angel come to her. Heck, if I had an angel come to me, I think that would boost my faith level. She believed this big because the angel came to her. I don't think so. I mean, it helped. I'll grant you that. But I don't think her faith was based on the angel's presence. You know how I know that? Then the angel left her. (laughs) And she kept 
keeps believing. She sings this song, this Magnificat, after the angels left the room. So while the angels' visit may have helped her over the initial shock, her faith lasted beyond the angels' presence. Wouldn't you love to have a faith like this? Wouldn't it be great to have a faith like this? You look at your situation. You look at your financial situation. You have no clue how you're going to pay your tuition bill. And you have a faith that believes the impossible. Wouldn't you love to have a faith like this? A faith that looks at the mess that your life is. The mess maybe that you've made of it. Wouldn't you love to have a faith to believe that God can take that life and make it something holy and beautiful? Wouldn't it be great to have a faith like this? That could look at your dysfunctional family, the mess that you were brought into against your wishes, that seems to have spoiled everything. Wouldn't it be cool to have a faith that believes that God can take even that situation and turn it into something beautiful? How about a faith that could see the invisible? Wouldn't that be something? You'd be in a tight squeeze, pressure on you. You're feeling all alone. You're feeling like, I don't have the strength to hold on. And you look around, and there is the presence of Christ alongside you. He is, you know. You just can't see it. It's hard for me to see it. But he promised through his spirit to always be with us. Wouldn't it be cool if we had the kind of faith that could see that, that could see the invisible? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could see the invisible, to see a world that looks like it is in absolute chaos? But just as John was able to see in the book of Revelation, the throne room of God Almighty, seated and sovereign, overlooking this world and knowing he's got things under control, wouldn't it be cool to be able to see things? like that well if you're like me you're asking the question where do i where do i sign up for a faith like this where do i get a faith like this well you can ask for it like that father of that epileptic child who said to jesus lord i believe help my unbelief just get used to praying that that's a good start but here's another suggestion. You see, faith is not only a gift. Faith is a virtue. It's one of the theological virtues. Faith, hope, and love. Virtues grow in the right kind of soil. So if you want faith, go ahead and ask for it. But you might also, you might also cultivate the soil from which faith naturally grows. You recognize this tree? Anybody recognize it? It's here on campus. You know where it is? It's the one over by between Noggle and the science building and Elder. It's called a ginkgo tree. It's a very unusual tree. For one thing, it stinks. <laughs> if you've walked by that tree around this time of the year and smelled 
something really foul, and you turn to your, the person walking next to you and began to think things like, when did you last shower? You stink. Is that you? If you ask them that question, you probably owe them an apology because it's not them. Well, actually, actually, it could be them. I don't know. I don't know. It's worth wondering. But it's probably not them. It's this tree. It stinks. You can smell it for yards away. Here's the other thing about this tree. It is the snowbird of the Arboretum. Every year, when it gets real cold, like it did on Friday night to Saturday, that real cold snap, all these leaves, they all fall at once. Anybody see that on Saturday morning? If you were out on Saturday morning, did you see it? Put your hand up if you saw the leaves falling. It's like snowfall, yellow snowfall from this tree. My sense is this snowbird of the Arboretum hates winter. And at the sign that the frost has come, it takes off and heads south to Florida. Some plants aren't meant to survive in some climates. Some plants thrive in some climates. What I'm suggesting to you is if you want faith, cultivate the environment in which faith grows. Make sense? What environment is that? Well, let me just suggest humility for a start. Faith grows best in a humble heart. If you want faith like Mary's, you got to have a heart like Mary's. And Mary's was a humble heart. Listen to what she says. I am the Lord's servant. He call, she calls herself God's lowly servant girl. Humility. Faith grows best in a humble heart. If you want faith like Mary's, have a heart like Mary's. A humble heart. If you want to believe God for great things, then you've got to believe less of yourself as capable of great things. I know that sounds harsh. I know that sounds harsh. But it's kind of like being a good student. I've been teaching here for over 20 years. I've had some very bright students who didn't do well in class. They had all the intellectual horsepower that they needed. What they lacked was a spirit of humility in the classroom. They already knew everything. Therefore, I was extraneous. The posture of a learner is a humble posture. It's the same thing with faith. If we believe we've got everything covered, we don't need God's help, we ought not to be surprised when we don't find the faith calling out for God. In other words, what I'm saying is if you really want faith, maybe God keeps trying to deliver it to your door, but in your pride you're saying, thanks, we don't need anything. You see what I mean? And so maybe the place to start with humility I mean, with faith, rather, is by questioning whether there's a little too much of Steve in here. Because the more I recognize my need for God, the greater the likelihood is that I'm going to be looking to him to meet that need. Does this make sense? I love what C.S. Lewis says about humility. This comes from mere Christianity. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He'll not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably, Lewis says, all you'll think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. That's the kind of environment, that's the kind of heart 
in which God can give faith. Now, humility is a tricky thing. It's like those physics experiments. The moment you try to test and measure something, it changes what you're trying to measure. The moment you start noticing humility in you, it transmogrifies into something that isn't humility. This is a tricky thing about humility. It's what you need to have faith, but recognizing the presence of it can sometimes ruin it. So let me suggest a couple of other characteristics. A couple of other characteristics which possessing them implies that you probably also have humility. Here are the two criteria, the two qualities, I think, that characterize a humble person. One is submission, and the other is tenacity or perseverance. Let me start with submission. Listen to what Mary has to say. May everything you have said about me come true. Translated, yes. Is this what you want to do? Cool with me. That's submission. We had a great example of it up here last week. Remember the mason jars? This is submission. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want me to change, I'll change. Smash. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Smash. That's submission. Let me talk about two other aspects of submission quickly. One is just submission. Yeah, Because when Dennis was doing that the other day, some of you weren't so frustrated that God was asking you to submit to something. It was that he was asking you to submit at all. It isn't even about what he's asking you to do. It's the fact that he's asking you to do anything. Now, I can understand this. You've spent the last 18 years of your life under someone else's authority. And to be truthful, you were probably looking forward to your time at college as a time of freedom from authority. I'm done submitting. That's in the past. Now, you weren't planning on any kind of wild recklessness. No room springer, as the Amish call it. You were just going to be free. Free. I got news for you. The only kind of freedom that's really freedom is freedom that starts with submission to God. If you are not going to bend your knee to the Lordship of Christ, you will never be free. Submission. Let me talk about a second aspect of submission, and I hesitated even mentioning this. Not because I doubt what I'm going to say to you, but because I'm afraid you might misunderstand me. Can I just say, if you misunderstand me, if you get mad at me for what I'm going to say, would you just give me a chance to talk with you about it? Just email me, steve.lennox. Some of you have been through crap. I mean, your life sucks, and it isn't your fault. You have had some kind of physical problem for much of your life and it has robbed you of the things that other people enjoy you were born into one of those homes i was talking about before where you didn't get the kind of parental love that you deserved some of you've been abused some of you've been sexually abused the very word submit sounds like profanity in your ears so let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you to submit 
to the bad things that have happened to you. I'm not telling you that was your fault, that you had that coming. I'm not telling you to submit to the bad things. I'm not telling you that you should back away from seeking to find healing or back away from justice, bringing the perpetrator from justice to justice. I'm not saying submit in those ways. Here's what I mean. For all the healing that takes place, for all the justice that takes place, that I pray takes place for your sake, there will still be a residual loss in your life. There's no way you can go back and make up those days that you lost. There's no way you can go back and undo the pain that you experienced. No amount of healing can erase all the loss. What I want you to do is to submit to God's capacity to transform that loss. If you hang on to it, it will not help you. If you submit it to God, He will use that for His glory and your good. But you got to submit it to Him. You got to tell Him, I know that this passed through your hands or it never would have come to me. And you've got to be willing to accept the view of God that allows for that to happen. And then you've got to have Mary's faith to say, even that, you can turn to something beautiful. That's what it means to submit. To submit that loss to the one who can make it something beautiful. Here's that second quality that Mary had that I think made it possible to have humility and think made it possible for her to have faith. It was, it was tenacity. It was, it was patience under pressure. It was, it was perseverance. It was, as that song we sometimes sing in chapel, the heart that holds on. Mary's faith was not just great. In fact, maybe the greatest thing about Mary's faith was not its greatness. It was its tenacity. She didn't let go. She was the only human being who chose to be present at the opening moments of Jesus' life and at the closing moments of Jesus' life. She was a person who was faithful to Jesus for his entire life, even though she was told at the get-go that this would be a sword right into her gut. She hung in there. She persevered. There was a tenacity to her faith that was not what you'd expect from a little girl from nowhere. I'm looking out on some little girls and little guys from nowhere. That's where you feel about yourself. Who am I? Who was she? But she submitted. She said yes to God. And she held on like grim death and wouldn't let go. Even watched her son die. That's what builds faith. Tenacity. I love these words of Mother Teresa.
Do not think that love in order to be genuine has to be extraordinary. What we need is to love without getting tired. Be faithful in small things because it's in them that your strength lies. Didn't mean Mary didn't have questions. Twice in this story, we're told that she pondered all these things in her heart. I don't think she's just writing them in her journal. Hey, another cool thing happened to me today. I think she's trying to figure it out. Beautiful thing is she didn't wait till she got it all figured out to say yes. There's only, other than Jesus, there's only two names mentioned in the creed, two human beings in the creed, Mary and Pontius Pilate. One, a little girl from nowhere. The other, an official in the occupying forces. For the latter, the best that we can muster up is pity that he didn't have the backbone when he needed it. But for the other, all generations shall call me blessed. Would you love to have a faith like Mary's? Let's pray. Father, we're just little kids from nowhere. But you can apparently do some pretty incredible things from, with people like us. Give us the faith that believes you for the impossible and that makes it a habit of seeing the invisible. If we're asking for faith, make sure we're asking from a humble heart. If you have to humble us, we say yes because we want to have a submissive spirit. And we want the kind of hearts that hold on even through the mess that this world dishes out. You'll probably never ask us to do what you asked Mary to do, but there are some people in this room who feel like it's that big, especially to them. Give them that kind of faith. In the name of Christ, amen.